When I was a child, <clears throat> I, had, I had a bit of this fear about being left behind. And, and not like those, I'll say it, awful books that came out in the 90s, left behind books. Although I did have a preacher uh, when I was Baptist who told a story of when he was a kid and went to Baptist Bible camp and fell asleep and all the kids and the counselors left to go to the pool and he woke up and he thought he had been left behind by the rapture. But I was, I was more scared of being left behind by my parents or my family for whatever reason. And I remember going to watch in the movie theaters the, the movie Home Alone. And I cried because I was so scared that that would happen to me. And, and my mom just turned to me and said, Brad, you're 20 years old. It's <laughs> Not really. I was six or seven, I think. But it was a, it was a nonsense fear. It, was, it didn't make any sense. There was nothing ever in my childhood, nothing ever in my experience that would make me think that this would actually happen. Or even as when we were children that uh, if we were in a store, my mom had a certain whistle. And that whistle was our, our beacon. Our, you know, the flashpoint that all the kids just ran back to. I'm pretty sure now at the age of 36, 35, 32, and 28 that if my mom whistled, we would all still come running. The Ascension is a story that's very much like that, where we, we have all the reasons that Christ has given as He is teaching and preaching for us not to fear. And I cannot help but read the story of the Ascension and wonder what was it that the disciples were going through in their minds. As they stood there staring like Christie stared. Were they fearful? Were they scared? They had seen Him die, they had seen Him rise, and now they're seeing Him ascend. What does this mean? Think about, think about everything leading up to this. Think about the way that Mary, when she first saw the resurrected Lord, how she clung to Jesus. Whereas she was clinging to Him, Jesus had to tell her, Mary, let me go. Because I have to ascend to my Father. Do not cling to me. We understand now, because of the ascension, what that actually means. But even Mary wanted to never see Him go. Never to see Him ascend. She wanted Him there in His bodily presence, always with Him. And we would have to agree with something like that at times. Because it would be awfully easier for us as the faithful if, if He was there somewhere in His full body right now. That when we had the questions that plague us, that we could actually drive across state and go visit Him and get our answers. Go to Jerusalem and maybe track Him down. Why is the Trinity so complex? Why did you actually have to die and rise? Why cancer? Why can't babies be born with a good sleep pattern? <laughs> the questions that continue to plague you. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But Jesus tells Mary, do not cling to me, for I must go. For I must go. He doesn't do that without giving us promises as well. Remember, Jesus is the one that says, I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be left alone. So he promises them that even though he is going, that that they will have his presence, that they will be given the spirit that is to come. And right before he even ascends, and, and we remember in Matthew 28 his commission for us to go and to baptize the nations, but right after that he also says, Behold, I will be with you always till the end of the ages. So we know that in His ascension that we are not people that are to be left alone, that we are people that actually in His ascension are given His presence wherever we are, wherever we go, and at whatever time it is. To me, the ascension is just one more thing that shows that this is a story, that this is a God, that we could never choose on our own. I was having a conversation yesterday with a, a friend of ours that every time we see him, some, you see, sometimes when people find out you're a pastor, either it shuts down the conversation immediately or it ignites a conversation that may take you as a pastor to uncomfortable places. This friend always takes me there where he is describing his thoughts about God and things like that, and eventually I just told him, The struggle with faith is submitting to a God that you would never choose on your own. The ascension. The ascension is something that we wouldn't want to write. We would want Him here. We would want Him there to answer all those questions. But faith teaches us that we are not alone. That it is in His ascension that He grants His presence to us wherever we are. It is in His ascension that we are given a King who is King over all things. And let me tell you, there is no greater time than now for us to realize that we have a stable King above us. That we have an ascended Lord. It is a reminder that our God did not come just as a teacher to teach us about good morals and the way to live, and the way to be. The ascension is a reminder that the Lord did not send someone to be a TV talk show host to tell us about things that we would really like to hear. That He did not send to us a politician who is able to shift and change and make His policies according to the will of men. That He did not send some sort of president who is able to go out and make war with whoever it is that He chooses. That He did not send some sort of army that is able to go out there and leave a puddle of blood behind them. That instead, He sent us a Savior. A Savior who did the unthinkable and who did the unpredictable. A Savior who died for us. A Savior who dared to rise from the dead, challenging every thought that we could ever have. A Savior who ascended. Ascended so that He could reign for us. So that we could have a King. A God 
a man who sits, having known the ways of this world, having known the feel of hunger and pain. A one who never talked too pretty for us to believe. One who never pretended to be something that he was not. One who spoke gospel into this world and love into all of our lives. A king. A king ascended for us. Sitting on our throne for us. In one of his Ascension Day sermons, Martin Luther sums it up very well when he says, Sin, death, and devil, and hell had taken us all captive. But Christ, Christ has in turn taken all of them captive. This is His kingdom. And this is His office in heaven. He takes my captivity captive. Intercepts my hangman. Interdicts my sins. Exterminates my death. And damns my hell. We have an ascended king. King for us. A king that we pray to, that we ask that that he come and make his kingdom now. That he delivers it over to us and spreads it. And we pray for this king to return. Many of us have said those very prayers when we have faced some of the most uncertain things in our life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Looking to the heavens for His return. Why? Because we have a King who's reigning for us. I'd like to put this a little in context of what is happening in the story at this time. Remember all the fear and all the trembling that the disciples had until they saw the resurrected Lord And they remember that there is actually hope of life eternal. That all shall rise to full life again. And so they stay with Him a certain amount of time until it is His time to ascend to heaven. And as they are sitting there staring at the sky waiting for what they must have thought was just an elevator of Him going up and coming back down, they're told to go. And they do go. They go and they wait. And they wait for the Spirit to come and it lands upon them and they're out in the marketplace preaching. These men who had cowered and hid are now out there in front of everybody preaching. And it's with the boldness of knowing that they have a King in Heaven, they start to face some of the worst things that could ever be. Looking into the book of Acts, we can see where suddenly the persecution of the church ignites. We're just bearing the name of Jesus on your heart and your mind and making it known sends them to the possibility of death and martyrdom. Preaching about Jesus can get you killed. And so what do they do? Do they stop? Do they cower? Do they fear? Do they worry about what it is people will think? Do they worry about losing their life? No. They continue. They continue to preach. They continue to lead. They continue to expand. They continue to go out there 
Because though we have emperors and politicians and presidents and primaries now, they have a king. A king who not only reigns for them, but a king that is with them. A king that speaks to their life right now. A king that is part of their world and part of who they are now. And so facing stoning, death, jail, the lot of it. They don't grumble about the loss of their religious freedom. They don't hide behind their computers ranting and raving on social media. They go. And they go out boldly. But then following the beginning of the persecution, they're challenged once more. And they're challenged with this idea that no longer is their church going to be made up of the people that look just like them. No longer is the church going to be just those that were part of Israel. But the church is to expand now into the Gentiles. They are forget, to forget the rules of the circumcision and to get rid of this idea of the food purity laws. But rather it is open up. The Gospel opens up to all nations and all people. To you and to me. Changing every thought that they've ever had about this new faith of theirs. Meaning that when they walk into their church building or they walk into their meeting, they're going to see something different and see somebody different. Their faith, their church, is going to look a lot more like the people in the world. So what did they do? They didn't call a church meeting about it. They didn't even take a vote on it. But upon hearing the news, hearing of what had happened and how the Lord had opened this up to all of those people, they stood there in shock and disbelief and awe. And suddenly upon all of them at one time, they erupted into singing praise to their God for the gift that had been given to the world. Why? I'm sure they had fear in their hearts in doing that. I'm sure that there were many challenges that they started to think about but they remember that they have a king. A king who is reigning over them. Whose kingdom is unlike any other kingdom of this world. Whose reigning is a reigning of gospel and not of one that divides and hates. They have a king who's ascended. Who reigns on the throne for them. And is a part of their life now. And from there, one more challenge happens. The church grows. The apostles begin to die of their martyrdom, living out that persecution that hits the church. But their seats begin to fill. The Gospel goes out. They're still poor as dirt. But the faith is rich and expands. And that's where we are today. That because of an ascended king, 
we gather here as Gentiles, we gather here as people who have been reached by the gospel. And we have to ask, what does it mean to have a king that's reigning for us? What does it mean to be owned by a king who serves us by giving us love and forgiveness? What does it mean to have a king in our life? Maybe not the king that we would choose. Maybe not the king who says everything we would want. But a king that loves us anyway. A king that forgives us. What does it mean to have a king in your life? Amen.